0: Hey, happy 4th of July, church. Just stand to our feet and worship together.
1: Is the only one you could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for You, oh, we live for You. So sing, holy, there is no one like You. There is none beside You. Open up my see worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you sing jesus jesus the name above every other name Is the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for You.
2: sometimes, Father, we doubt, worry creeps in, anxiety creeps in, fear creeps in, but you're calling us to choose faith, to put our hope and to put our trust in you, the name above all names, the only name that can save, the only name that truly has power to conquer death. Father, we worship you. Father, We are humbled before you and in your presence. Father, fan the flames inside of us. Let them grow for you. Let them grow. Let a passion rise up. Father, we're not just here to do church, to have a moment, but to truly seek your heart, God. God, let a faith and a boldness rise up in us because we have met with you. your presence fill this place. Just come. Father, we seek your heart. Fan the flames within us, Lord. Let the passion rise. Let our praise rise. Let our faith rise. As we choose you above all things, Lord. your presence Lord. God we don't take these moments for granted. God we just want to pause in them and just acknowledge your goodness. We just pray that you will truly just open our hearts to your voice, to your leading, to your guiding father. Help us to receive this word that pastor James is bringing today with humility. God with, with just an openness for you to speak, for you to breathe. For you to, to start that revival in us father god of just us in you fathers we just seek your heart to know you more god we love you we praise you
3: in jesus name amen dear united states of america i'm sorry I haven't been who I was created to be. Things have been tense, it's been tough. and We've had trouble trusting each other, believing in and supporting each other. It seems like we only see our differences. And the truth is, we're all just humans, brothers and sisters created in God's image. It seems like the problems are caused by them, you know, those people. They think, look and talk different. They are different. They are the problem. But there is no they. No, there is only us. Us Americans. We are the United States of America. One nation, indivisible, and under God. That means it's going to be okay. God's got the whole world in his hands. So when politics don't go my way, it's in his hands. When everything is falling apart and nothing makes sense, it's in His hands. I forgot that God is in control. So I tweeted things that didn't look like Christian love. I posted things that Jesus wouldn't post. I've said things that weren't from a spirit of unity and love. I forgot to love my neighbor as myself. So I am sorry. And I'm going to try harder to spread joy instead of fear, to encourage rather than condemn. And instead of shouting my opinions, I'm going to choose to share Jesus.
4: Happy Independence Day weekend to you. I hope you're having a great weekend. And the good news is it's not over yet. And uh, we get Monday as well. So uh, I hope you're having a great time. Hey, we uh, we continue our series, Revelation, and and we start uh, today at home. I love this portion, the next seven messages we start at home, and we're going to be looking at uh, what Jesus is saying to the church. I was talking to someone the other day about how far TV has come in my lifetime. And I talked to him about the the five safe stations that were going on in the D.C. area when I was growing up. Anybody remember them? ABC? NBC CBS. Fox 5 and uh, 20, Channel 20. Remember Channel 20? I remember because wrestling used to come on Channel 20. It was Ernest, Angely, and then wrestling. And both of them were just as entertaining. And so I remember, I remember doing that growing up. And, and then we went to, uh, you know, satellite TV and cable with TNT and CNN and, and, um, and some of those kind of shows, right? And, and then we, we've come all the way to this point of streaming where we have all of these streaming options and some of the options I've taken care of, uh, taken advantage of is uh, Disney Plus and, and ESPN and this Discovery Channel and BritBox and, Brit Box and uh, um, you know, HGTV or Discovery Channel that has HGTV, uh, Do-It-Yourself TV, Food Network and different things like that. I was talking to someone the other day about my favorites, right, ESPN and then Discovery Channel. And they could understand ESPN because of sports thing and different things like that. And then I have YouTube TV that I can get a whole bunch of stuff on, right? And, but they were trying of figuring out what was going on with Discovery Channel. Why do you like Discovery Channel? And I said, because I love HGTV. And, and, and they were like, what is HGTV? And I said, don't you know it's kind of the place where you, you can see how you can design your home, you can fix up your basement, you can do all of just do-it-yourself projects. And they looked at me with one of those looks that said they did not own a home, they do not have a family, and uh, they're not old like I am. And so I began to explain to them HGTV and all the things, all the exciting things that I'd gotten through HGTV as I began to kind of fix up my home. HDTV uh, has this tagline, Start at Home. The point is that, that home is, uh, is our greatest investment, and so we want to make home comfortable, so we do a lot of stuff at home. Or maybe I could say it like this. There's no place like home. They say that charity begins at home. And we know that our mission to know and grow in Jesus and to take real hope to anyone everywhere begins at home. Most of us understand this started home model. Uh, because we, most of us have homes in and, and these situations, even if we're living in an apartment and renting someplace, we understand this idea of home. Rose and I moved uh, to Fredericksburg about 19 years ago, 19 years ago in two days. So Jay was only a couple of weeks old, and we moved to Fredericksburg, and we moved into the house that we live in now. And, and the house that we moved into is not the house that we have now. Because the house that we moved into, we, got, we started to renovate it right away. I mean, we painted it, or should I say, Kim Huffman and some of the Salem Fields folks painted it for us, right? We got new carpet in it. And then we had this basement that was unfinished. And so we started to refinish the basement, put a common room in. We put a kind of a storage room, a full bedroom, a full bathroom. And and then we went from the basement to the kitchen and, and threw out all the appliances and new countertops and all of that kind of stuff. And you get the picture on and on and on starting at home so as Jesus begins this process of reclaiming of renovating of reusing and beginning to look at his creation and, and how he would make all things new he begins the process at home at the ch- in the church at home. Remember last week we said an outline of Revelation is found in Revelation 117, where Jesus says to John, Now write down everything you see, things that are and things about to be. The things that were, or the things that are, the things that were in John's day were seven churches. I have a map for you, and the seven churches of Asia, right? Asia Minor, Pergamos. Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and Laodicea. Those are, those are the things that are. So when, 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 when God is talking, when the Lord is talking to John and tells him to write down the things that are, that's what he's talking about. And so after introducing himself, Jesus, as the main thing, the only thing, the main thing in Revelation... After revealing that he is the star of the show, he begins the process of revealing his plans for renovating the church with some intros, some recognitions, some reprimands, some reality checks, and some rewards. I love that R thing that I got going on, right? And so that's how he begins. And what he said to the church in Ephesus The Ephesian church, he could easily say to us today, would you hear his words for the church in Ephesus? Write this to Ephesus, to the angel of the church, the one with the seven stars in his right fist grip, striding through the golden seven lights, circle speaks. I see what you've done, your hard, hard work, your refusal to quit, I know that you can't stomach evil, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause that you never wear out. But, (laughs) there's always a but, but you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen, a Lucifer fall? Turn back, recover your dear early love. No time to waste, for I'm well on my way to removing your light from the golden circle. You do have this to your credit. You hate the Nicolaitan's business. I hate it too. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. I'm about to call each conqueror to dinner. I'm spreading a banquet of tree of life fruit, a supper plucked from God's orchard. What does Jesus say to this busy church, this church that's got a lot of stuff going on? He says, number one, keep first things first. It's a problem in our culture because there's a lot of stuff for us to do. There are a lot of things that get accomplished. And, and, and in our, our, our drive to accomplish things, in our drive to get things done, sometimes we forget to keep first things First. Maybe you've been on a job and you have all of these projects that gotta do, you got to do. And sometimes the project that you're most comfortable with is the thing that you start work first with. Sometimes the project that you might be most gifted in is the project that you'll start first, but it might not be the first thing. In relationships, sometimes we'll do a whole bunch of good things, but not, not the first thing. So, you know, sometimes we'll be with our spouse and we'll be doing great things, right? And they're great things that we feel good about, but they don't feel good about. There may be gifts that we buy them that they don't even like, but we like them. When I was looking for a car for a Rosie, I had gone to, uh, I had gone to the car show. I would go to the car show every, every year in D.C., I would go down to the convention center. I would go to the car show. And one time I went to the car show and I saw this Ford Explorer sports. And man, I went into that thing and, and it was it was nice. It had, a, it had a turbo engine in it and it had all the bells and whistles. And, and I began to look at it and write stuff down on it. And it it was, you know, it was the black on the black package and, and everything like that. And I loved that car. It had the leather seats, the videos in the back seat. Loved that car. And I thought, this is going to be Rose's next car. Now, you know, good and well, Rose didn't care anything about a sports package. She didn't care anything about the DVD. She didn't care anything about the leather seats. She just wanted, uh, she wanted a 4x4. Four four. She would have gotten the cheapest Explorer in the lot. But I, I kind of did the whole big thing. And it <laughs> was a car that I liked more than a car that she liked. We can have a problem sometimes putting the first things first. So so very clearly, Jesus is communicating to this Ephesus church. And I believe he's also saying to us that there's one thing that's got to be first place. There's one thing that's got to be the top of your agenda. There's one thing that's got to be your top priority, and that is me. You've got to put me first. I've got to be there. I've got to be your first love. That's his whole point. He sets the whole passage up based on this one statement. How does he get there? How do we do that? How do we make sure that that Jesus is the first in all that we do? There are a couple of ways. Number one, listen up. He's talking to the churches, and every time he talks to his church when he's starting at home, he tells them to listen, and I think that's so appropriate for our culture so, because it's so hard for us to listen. There's so many things vying for our time and attention. They could call us the ADD generation. So much stuff, so many things, so many good things vying for our attention, vying for our time, vying for our talents. So he says, listen up. We've got to develop an ear for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to learn how to distinguish his voice above all the other voices in our head. We've got to learn to ex- kind of distinguish his agenda from all the other agendas that we're dealing with. So he says, listen up. We've got to be waiting and listening for the words of Jesus because he wants to speak to us. I hear people so often say, well, Jesus is not speaking. And the reality is, is God is always speaking. The question is, are we hearing? Are we listening? Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? And so he starts this passage off saying to all the churches, are you listening? Are you really listening? Do you have your ears open? When I was growing up. Uh, uh, you know, we, we were in elementary school, and they would say, do you have your listening ears on? And they would do something like this. Do you have your listening ears on? I could ask that question this morning. Do we have our listening ears on? Are we ready to hear what God would say to the church, what God would say to us? Because Jesus is ready to speak. The question is, are we listening the one of the seven stars in his right grip, striding through the golden seven light stand, speaks. He's the one speaking. This is not John. This is Jesus. Jesus is the one who's speaking here. There's so many. There's so many situations in in the scriptures where someone else is writing, and, and someone's writing it. But in this whole, this whole book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking. It's so much, Jesus speaking so much that John identifies when he's speaking. Jesus is speaking. Matthew, I mean, excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says this How blessed the reader, how blessed the hearers and keepers of these oracle words, all the words written in this book. Time is just about up. We can't keep the words, we can't live out the words if we're not listening, if we're not reading. Here's our problem. It's the same problem the church of Ephesus had. We're just so busy doing all kinds of good stuff, but not the God stuff. Why? Because let me say this to you. Number two, busy isn't blessed. There's this mentality in the church that if we're busy, and it kind of comes from our Protestant work ethic, right? Busyness. You know, you need, we talk about slothfulness. We talk about people who kind of are are just kind of slothful, and and they're not busy. And and, and there was a saying that, you know, if you're not busy, you're going to fall into temptation. And so we've grown up with this idea that busy is blessed. But Jesus seems to be saying to this church busyness is not blessed. Notice what Ephesus Church did. Notice all the details about their activities. We've got to be careful not to be so busy with good stuff that we miss the real God stuff. Look at what it says in chapter two. I see what you've done. Your hard, hard work. these weren't lazy folks. These weren't folks taking it easy. their hard, hard work. your refusal to quit. I mean these, these this church was on it. They was on it, right? They were firing on all the cylinders. I know you can't stomach evil. That you weed out apostolic pretenders. There were some people there who were checking things out. They were checking in the doctrine. They knew the pretenders from the real thing and they were weeding them out. I know your persistence. You keep on going. You're the energizer bunny. You're going and going, going. I know your courage in my cause. I mean, this sounds, like, this sounds like an A-list church. I mean, they, they've got it going on. They never wear out. All this good stuff. I mean, most people would be proud to be a part of a church like that. Most people would be proud to be those kind of Christians. But busyness is not blessedness. Because sometimes busyness is a substitute for intimacy with Christ. Because we can be doing a whole bunch of things and not hear his voice. We can be doing a whole bunch of things because we don't want to do the real thing. And we believe that the substitute for the real thing will get us through. But busyness is not blessedness. The Church of Ephesus was a powerful church. For 30 years, they had rocked their community for Christ. The Church of Ephesus was located near a major highway. All the roads in Asia led to, through Ephesus, went through Ephesus. All the bigwigs would come through the city. They had the most favorite city status. It was a cutting-edge city. They had an outdoor amphitheater. They had a sewage system. Think about this. They had central heating. It was a very modern city, and it was the capital of Asia at the time. They say all political roads lead through Washington, D.C. Well, all the roads of ancient Asia went through Ephesus. But there was something else that was there. There was the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana by the Romans. She was the goddess of fertility, that basically became the goddess of whatever feels good, do it. Right in the middle of Ephesus was a temple to this goddess. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People stood up and took notice of it because of its size, because of its dominance. It became a sign of sin in the middle of the capital of Asia, people would go to this particular temple and literally do do whatever felt good to them. It was almost like the Las Vegas of the day. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. So they would go to this temple, and the ritual act of this temple was to do whatever felt good, and they would literally do it right there in front of the temple. You name it, they did it. The Ephesians thought, hey, this is just life in, this, in our big city. And they just accepted it. And then Jesus talks about the Nicolaitan thing. The Nicolaitans were Christian sects that were followers of Nicholas, who was one of the first deacons that were, uh, was appointed by the apostles. Now, they brought hook, line, and sinker into this whatever feels good, do it mentality. And so they led they led unrestrained lives of indulgence. To be blunt, this group kind of, they either thought that somehow that Jesus has freed them from all of the sexual, all of the sexual kind of things in the Mosaic law, or they just decided that they were going to really have love feasts. You remember in the Acts of the Apostle, there were these love feasts where people came together and they sold whatever they had and they came together and they would do meals together. Well, they thought that they would literally do the love feast. So you can see how that that cult took a little bit of Scripture and a little bit of their culture and they began to kind of weave it together. We do it a lot today. Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. A little bit of the truth and a little bit of a lie of our culture. And so, so they, they were dealing with that thing. But as the church began to grow and the church began to make inroads into the community, the result was less and less people came to the temple Less and less people were buying kind of from the temple and the temple began to kind of um, fall apart and eventually that temple was destroyed for the, because of the way that Christians lived. So you would think with all that going on, with all the stuff that they were doing, with everything that seemed to be firing on all the cylinders, Jesus Says to them, in spite of all that, Jesus says to them, I have this problem, and all of your good stuff, your outreach, your activities, you've gotten so busy that you've lost the favor of your first love. So he begins to give them some ways that they can get back on track, that they can begin to keep the main thing the main thing. And so Jesus, the Spirit, Jesus, speaking through the Spirit to that church, begins to say to them, you need to reclaim your numero uno. You need to reclaim your number one love. So we got to start somewhere. Notice what's being said in Revelation 2, 4, but you walked away from your first love, Why? And, and then in, in verse 2 and 3, they contrast all these things that they're doing. They're all external things. They're all things that people can see. They're all things that people can say, that a boy, that a girl. They're all things where people can say, what a great church. And then he he kind of takes it and he He looks at it against verse 4, which are internal things. So they were doing great at all of the external things, and they were doing terrible on all the internal things. And guess which one was more important? I say to you all the time, God wants to transform us from the inside out. And so here was what Jesus was saying to the church. You can do all the stuff that you want You can do all kinds of things, but if you don't have the main thing, the main thing, then it's not going to amount to anything. You say, James, well, where do you get that? Well, because later in the scripture, he says, I'm about to remove your candlestick. The candlesticks in Revelation represented the seven churches. There was a candle for every church. And he says, listen, you're doing all this great stuff. you you're, you're got it going on externally, but internally you lost your first love. Remember, they were doing all kinds of stuff. They were standing against the evil of their day. And the church today, we're standing against the evil of day, but sometimes we move over from standing against the evil in love to standing against the evil in hate. And it's not enough for us to stand against the evil of our day. It's not enough to say that life matters, right? It's not enough to say that, that we're pro-life. But if we do it in hatred and and, and nastiness and ugliness, then it, it, it doesn't help the cause. They were doing outreach, great outreach. But it seemed to be that they were doing it for their own glory and not for the glory of God. They were doing all of these great things, all of these great external things. And here's the, here's the problem. In the church sometimes, we do all the great things. And they're good things, right? Fourth of July outreach is a good thing. Sending, sending missionary to the Philippines is a good thing. All those things are good things. They're even God things. But if we do them without the number one thing, we miss the whole point. I have often said to people, the scariest scripture, the the scariest verse in scripture has nothing to do, I think, with Revelation. It has to do, it's this verse where, where Jesus says, many in that day, in the last day, will come to me and say, Lord, didn't we do this didn't we do great outreach? Didn't, didn't, we, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't, didn't, we, we, didn't we build great churches? I mean, didn't, didn't we stand against evil? Didn't we do all of this stuff? And, and Jesus says, I'm going to reply, I never knew you. And I, and I always think to myself, well, that doesn't make sense. How can a God who knows everything, the God who's all-powerful, the God who's everywhere, right? How can the God who knows everything, how can that God say, I don't know you? And what he's saying is, listen, you did all those things, but they weren't about me, they were about you. Because what I really wanted Is I really wanted an undivided heart, your undivided heart. I really wanted you to love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I really wanted. But you gave me this and this and this and all that stuff is good. But it's not the main thing. Jesus saying, You could you could have all of these things, and you could have all, you could have tons more of these external things. But if you don't have this one thing, all the rest of the things aren't worth much at all. You see, we can we can do all of this stuff and we can be the great church on the shining hill. But if we don't love, because the Bible doesn't say that the world will know we're Christian by our our doctrine. It doesn't say they will know, they'll know we're Christians by but by our great buildings or our outreach or all of that stuff. It says, don't know you're Christians by the way you love one another. And to love one another fully, you got to love God. C.S. Lewis says like this, every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportionate to his love for God. There's no spiritual health without this love for God. So if you f- lose your first love for Jesus, no amount of service you and I do will save us spiritually. Number four, rekindle the passion. Revelation says 2:5 says this: Recover, Recover what? Recover what it was like to be in love with God for the very first time. Recover what it meant to go from, from eternally being separated from God to being in relationship with God. Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when you first came to know Christ? When you, first came, when you first got into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember? Do you remember how excited you were? Do you remember all the things, that, the things that you want to do and how, did you, how you want to connect with Christ and, and, and how you loved him and were passionate about him? And so Jesus saying to the church in Ephesus and to us today as a church and because the church is about individuals who have given their lives to Christ, he's saying to us, do you remember, recover, Recover that passionate love. Some of you who have been in a relationship know how that works, right? There's a, I call it the dating thing, right? The dating thing is, right, you're kind of pursuing, especially guys, hunters, right? Hunters. Pursue, right? Pursuit. And so you're doing all these things to pursue, Right? I mean, I did all kinds of nice picnics. I remember taking a picnic and a blanket and, and some, some sparkling cider and, and some sandwiches and laying it out there in Boston Commons, and there's not been a lot of picnics since then. <laughs> I need to work on that. But I remember that. I remember that. I remember the pursuit. I remember my brother. My brother, we had one phone in the house, and there was five guys, and all of us were trying to call our girlfriends. And I had this one brother that, that did the uh, goodbye thing, I love you thing, and, and they would go back and forth, I love you. Oh, know, I love you. I love you. And we're like, Chris, get off the phone. I love you. I love you. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I love you. I love you. I love you. you, you, you. Maybe some of you remember that. That kind of passion, that kind of passionate pursuit of Christ, that kind of wanting to hear his voice. You know how it works. You want to talk on the phone. You want to talk by text. You want to talk to one another. You want to hang out with another. You want to be in one another's presence. You just want to be there. And Jesus says, recover Recover the passion of an intimate relationship with Jesus. How long has it been since you were madly in love with Jesus? A year, a month, six months, two years, three years, five years? I'm talking about when you were really in love with Jesus, like there's nothing else in the world matters in love with Jesus. When was that? Jesus is saying, recover that. Recover that first love. We got to start somewhere. what, What was it like for you? What did you do when you were madly in love with Jesus? Where would you go? What were the experiences that you experienced? What did it sound like? What did it look like? What did it feel like when you were passionately and madly in love with Jesus? And he's saying to the Ephesus church, you can do all that other stuff. But all that stuff will mean nothing if you're not madly in love with me. So let me wrap this up with a couple more R's. If you would take that, that passage, that letter to the church of Ephesus, it would be three R's that you could, you could look at. Remember, remember how it was. We're constantly called throughout the scriptures to remember. In the, in, in the First Testament, it talks about writing, writing these things on the doorpost, teaching these things for, to your kids. Remember what God has done. Remember how he rescued you. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt. Remember how you were able to walk through the Red Sea. Remember how you went into Jericho. Remember what I've done Remember that I I rescued you from Babylon. Remember. We're constantly told to remember. Why? Because we're prone to forget. There have been times when God has done amazing things in our lives. (laughs) And God has rescued us, right? He he set us up. He's totally kind of gotten our back and, Six months later, we'll go do something we're fearing. That same God that rescued us, we're fearing that he's going to somehow forget about us. Remember. Secondly, repent. Turn around. There's a sense that, that, that making all of these other things the main thing instead of Jesus being the main thing. There, there's a sense where that's kind of walking away. And there, there's, there's this perspective, and, and I agree 100% that, that when we walk and we do all of those things and we leave our first love to the side and we do all of this good external stuff, there's a turnaround. Repent. Kind of of go back and, and rekindle, rediscover that first love. You might have to go back and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then return. Return. Start that relationship afresh and anew. Oh, I love the return. Remember the prodigal son? I love the scene. He has it all talked. He's been working on his conversation, his speech to his dad. He's been working on it for a long time. He's got it down to a science. Dad! I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. He's been working on it again and again. And, and I, I, I can imagine he thought through what his father's response would be, but he never thought, he never thought in a million years that his father's response would be the way it was. You remember the story, he's going over this in his head. Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, I'm not worthy to be your son, make me a hired hand. Father, I've sinned against you. And as he's walking down the road to home, he sees this figure running in the distance. And as the the person gets closer and closer to him, he realizes it's it's his dad... His dad is running out to meet him, and he starts his speech, Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned, and his dad is not hearing it. His dad is yelling to the folks, my son has come home, kill the fatted calf, get shoes for his feet, get a ring on his hand. Return. That's the response of the father. When we return, we return and we can go and say, Lord, Lord I, I was doing all this external stuff. And if I forgot my first love and I want you to forgive me, he's not hearing it. He's ready for the return. <laughs> we talk about revelation being the return of Christ. But there's some returns that we need to we need to be about. As that happens. And so what's your first love like? What's that relationship like? Some of us will take and put our our spouse in that position. No, no, no. God's number one. Our spouse becomes our number two. God is number one. And if, if God is number one, then the relationship that we have with our spouse, if our vertical relationship is number one, the horizontal relationships seem to work out better. So how is your first love relationship going? What is, this, what is it like? Do you need to tune up? Do you need to kind of go back and recapture? Do you need to remember and repent in return? Here's the good news. <laughs> the God who calls us to that is ready for us. Is ready for us. And he'll come with open arms. And receive us. Would you pray with me today? Father God, thank you so much. For we can be the church of Ephesus. And as we go through this series started home, we're gonna realize that there's a lot of them in us in the same way you were talking to them, in the same way you were encouraging them, in the same way you were kind of reprimanding them, in the same way that you were um, kind of working with them and, and getting them in the right spot, you want to get us in the right spot. And so, Father, here's the deal. We need to be passionately in love with you. And it's so easy to move from that kind of relationship to a passive, passive relationship. So God, Father, as you, put, as you put the mirror in our face today and show us our relationship, our Jesus relationship, would you help us to remember, to repent and then return? Thank you for what you're doing. Father, there might be some folks listening to me today in the auditorium online who don't even know you in relationship their prodigal son or daughter who needs to return. And so, Father, I pray today as they kind of hear your spirit talking to them, whispering in their ear that they would make a decision to to make you their first love for the very first time, that they would pray a prayer like this, Lord, Lord, I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for your sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on my behalf. And I ask you to come and take up residence, be the leader, the CEO of my life. I repent, I turn, I walk towards you. And then there's some folks who just need to, they've been in love, They know what it is about to have a passionate relationship, a passionate love for you, but they've lost it. And it's just a matter of saying, Lord, I want to rekindle that. Here I am. Do your work in me so that I might love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And thereby be empowered to love those around me, no matter who they are, no matter what they come from, no matter what their ideology is. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in these days. Thank you for starting at home with us. Now help us, Father, not to miss this opportunity because you want to not only renovate and reuse and recycle and renew your creation, but you want to do that in us during this series. So help us to be open. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys. Love you guys. Enjoy the rest of your day.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Pastor James. What a word. Hey, you know, it. God's spoken to you today. Like We want to hear about it. We want to come alongside of you. You're not meant to uh, go through this life or do this walk alone. So we want to surround you. So if you just go to Salemfields.com slash my decision, uh, really it's just a 10 second little thing. And so uh, just say, you know what, I, I committed my life to Jesus today, or you know what, I committed to take another step of just obedience and I would really love some prayer. I would really love some encouragement or somebody to come alongside of me to help me walk that out. We want to be that for you. We want to be a part of this journey with you. So we want to encourage you to do that. If you're a guest with us, if you could just uh, do us a favor, uh, just scan the QR code on the screen or just go to sandfields.com slash guest. Uh, fill out that connection card there. It takes about 30 seconds uh, and there's all the information you could possibly want to know about us. Uh, So just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Also, uh, thank you for your generosity. Uh, That's, again, another way that we worship God here at Salem Fields Community Church, so you can actually go give through one of the giving kiosks out there. Online, click the little green button in the top right-hand corner of SalemFields.com slash giving. Um, Also coming up, uh, students, they just had a bonfire. They had a blast, and now they're going to do a Christmas in July uh, where they're going to go ice skating, and they're going to watch Elf in July. How awesome is that? I wish I could watch that movie every single month. I love it that much. So, if you have a student, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, just email students at for more information, cost details, all of that. And then lastly, uh, 4th of July is fireworks, but we're actually going to do Labor Day uh, fireworks. It's something that we love to do, and it is going to be an awesome, awesome time. There's going to be uh, music, games, and an amazing fireworks display. so definitely check that out. Make a note of that September 5th. Um, so, so begin inviting your friends and family. We're so glad that you guys came here to worship with us this morning. We love you guys. Have a safe, great Fourth of July, and we'll see you back here next week.